Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, A quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her. A report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them. And a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often... Follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. What if everything you did communicated that you love yourself? How would you think, speak, and behave differently? Well, in this episode, I interview Kanyisa Minyaka, a queer, trauma-informed relationship coach, author, and entrepreneur who shares her best heartfelt advice about how to build your self-love, self-awareness, self-compassion, self-care, self-confidence, and self-assertiveness. You can learn more about her at kanyisaminyaka.com, but before you do, keep listening for all the wisdom and inspiration she shares with us here. Kanyisa, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I don't even know the questions, so I'm just like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And that that on its own like just excites me. So awesome. Let's jump right into it. Can you just before we get started, share a little bit about the work you do, and then and how you came to be in a place to do the work? Okay. So my name is Kanisa. I am from South Africa, but I live in the great state of Texas. I can't believe I say that, but I live in Texas. I live in Austin. Uh, I live with my partner. Her name is Indy, and we have the cutest dog, and this is an objective statement. He's so cute. His name is Oliver, Um, and I'm a life coach. I am a trauma-informed life coach, and my, my work just looks like making that connection between our childhoods and who we are and just realizing that a lot of who we are and how we navigate our lives is informed by the stuff that happened to us. Can I use bad words in the podcast? Is that a thing that we do here or should I be clean? (laughs) Uh, You can use any words that feel comfortable for you. Feel good? Okay, great. (laughs) I have to ask that sometimes because sometimes I can have a really Chris like a sailor. But I found my, just to get into like how I got into the work, it was in 2020, the height of the pandemic. And 
I was in a studio in Seattle where we lived in a 300 square foot studio in the Oliver and myself. And I really came to face myself. And I think like the pandemic did a lot of that for most people who allowed it to do that, where I looked at myself and I was like, okay, what do you want to do with this life? It is not promised. Like we, I, I think that was the big thing with COVID for me personally. It was things can change like that. We flew from South Africa and our plan was to come to America for six months and then we're going to keep traveling. We, we, we're nomads, right? We like to live this like country to country, city to city. And we had to make this big pivot. And I was like, well, what do, what do I do with my life here as an immigrant? unregistered, came in with a tourist visa. But on top of that was coming face to face with my own pain and my own struggles and how I was showing up in this relationship. And when India and I met just a few months before that, I had ended a seven-year relationship. And that relationship ended in a lot of trauma, a lot of betrayal, a lot of pain. And being in therapy and working through all of that and and just making those connections of, oh, your relationship, the way that your relationship, because of how you grew up, the abandonment issues that you dealt with, the rejection that you dealt with. And now I had to go back, do the work of healing my inner child, reparenting myself to then be able to show up differently and better in in my own relationship right now. And I have to be honest and say that it is daily work. I think people kind of have this like assumption with coaches that we have our shit together. But the truth is we don't. No one has their shit together to the level of just being like, Every day is exciting. If you called my wife right now and be like, what's going on? She would probably be like, she, she annoys the shit out of me every single day. And it's, it's, it's just work that we continuously do. And I think the difference is that awareness of who you are and, and how you show up in the world and the, the desire or the ability to lean into who you are but also working to heal the parts that need healing, right? And revealing those parts. So it was just a work of complete and absolute vulnerability that just took all my stuff, put it in the table and just was like, look at the shit that you're working with. And then through that, I was like, Kanisa has been through so much pain. I believe in the universe and the ancestors and, and I'm not religious at all, but I'm very prayerful. And, and I got to this place where I said, there has to be purpose here, like surviving things that could have destroyed me, like mentally and spiritually, and at times like really put me in a dark place. And I was like, okay, what can we do with this? Like, what could be the purpose here? And that's where I landed to life coaching. And that's where I landed to creating content that's speaks to just this human experience in its all in all its mess and beauty and ugliness and brokenness and wholeness and then taking my own life experiences and and using that as an example where I lacked out though with the work is my bachelor's degrees in psychology 
Um, and then I went and got certified in counseling, got certified in life coaching, um, got my master's degree in Costa Rica. So all of that kind of worked together. But I like to say that the education part of it, it's nice. It's, it's nice that I read books and shit. But what really inspires me to keep doing the work, it's, it's my own stuff and my own journey. Yeah, it's not easy when we turn in to face ourselves, like you were saying. And it, if we're really going to be facing ourselves in an honest way with awareness, then it is going to be daily work because just the same way that every single time I go to speak, I have the same accent. And every time I go to walk, I have that same sort of gait, right? There's a certain way you can recognize my walk. We also have our personalities and all of our shit comes out in our personalities almost every time we go to interact with people and even when we know that about ourselves and we want to be better and even if we are in the business of helping other people be better with their own stuff it can still end up being just on the daily that we're making mistakes and not living up to what we intend because that's that's life yeah and that's how we learn and that's how we grow and i'm somebody that's like if if it's not helping me grow then something is wrong I like that. If I'm not helping me grow, then something's wrong. Yeah, you're probably um, playing small in those instances, right? Mm-hmm. I think all of that is amazing. And it, and the fact that you are forcing yourself to do it every day will make you a better coach for others because of the compassion for the understanding and for the fact that it's not just that you're walking your talk, right? It's not just talk. Yeah, you have to live it. Absolutely. So what advice do you have for women for increasing self-esteem, right? Because to face ourselves, that can bring up a lot of stuff and it's going to be a lot of insecurity that comes up while we're doing it. And self-esteem is really, really important. So have you found any tools that have helped in that area? That's a very good question. Self-esteem. Have you heard, do you like stand-up comedy? I love stand-up comedy. And Kurt Williams speaks about self-esteem. In one of his bits, and he's like, it's the esteem of yourself. How are you going to let someone else affect how you feel about you? So when I heard that, it, it really hit hard. But then I also realized that there are insecurities that happen as we navigate relationships, whether it be family or partner or partners, if you are partnered with multiple people, like all of this can like, hit your self-esteem. And how I work through it is realizing where my insecurities lie and practice that. I, I think of it as it's a muscle. And I think about what's, what's one thing I can do every single day that will make me feel like I'm building my either self-confidence or self-esteem. So one of the things that I actually get my clients to do is choose one thing that you will do every single day. It's a non-negotiable. That's for you, for anyone. And you're like, if that is, I'm going to be journaling every single morning, or I'm going to drink a glass of water every single morning, or I'm just going to do a 10-minute walk every day, or I am going to tell a friend that I love them every day. Just one thing that can help you build self-trust. What we do when we are trying to build ourselves up or change our lives at any capacity is we try to do too many things at the same time. And when we fail at those things, it just reinforces that we are people who fail. And then when we have that narrative about ourselves, it then 
affirms that we have low self-esteem and then it just, it doesn't work. It's a full cycle. So I, I like to take it like small thing. If, if you're saying I'm going to commit to drinking a glass of water every single morning for 10 days, if you do that every day for 10 days, then we add something else then I'm going to drink 10 glasses of water. And while I'm drinking my water, I'm going to journal every day. Because when we can do the small things, small little steps, they compound, right? And then one day you're like, I'm somebody that wakes up and drinks water every morning. I'm somebody that wakes up and journal every morning. And we build that self-trust. And I think self-trust is sort of like the foundation for self-confidence and self-esteem and being someone who does and uh, what they say they're going to do. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. I think you're completely right. I really couldn't agree with you more. It's such good advice that you that the best way to start building your self-esteem is focusing on the self-trust aspect. It's totally within mm-hmm. your hands. Doing too many things will just, like you said, it'll reinforce the failure. It'll create an excuse for more negative narrative. And instead of actually increasing your self-esteem, you'll just end up feeling worse about yourself. But if you choose one mm-hmm. thing to make it non-negotiable and you do it every single day, then you can develop the self-image of a person who does that. So you identify yeah. as, I'm a person who nailed that which can then make mm-hmm. you really feel better about yourself. So it improves your self-image. I think it's such, such, such good advice. I love it. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I do it myself too. Now, I've, for the past three months since they started, I've been somebody who works out four days a week. And there are days where I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to go to the gym. And those days I go, do I want to be the person who doesn't go to the gym because I'm lazy? Or... Do I want to be the person who goes, I have enough self-discipline to go to the gym even when I'm lazy? And then I get up and I go. That's so great. Mm. And that has given you the new self-image. I'm sure when you first started, it was harder. But now that you've been doing it four days a week for so many weeks, it because you have that self-image and you were able to do it all those other times. Mm-hmm. And my body follows suit. Um, Robin Sharma, I read in the 5 a.m. club, he says, change is ugly in the beginning, messy. No, he says it's difficult in the beginning, messy in the middle, but it's beautiful at the end. So when, when you start, it's hard because this is not who you are. This is not the person you've been all your life. I'm 38. I have never been somebody who wakes up and does the things that I do now. So, of course, I am... My nervous system is like, what are we doing? My ego is like, wait a minute, what's happening here? All these changes are challenging who I am. But in the middle, I'm like, this is, this is really hard. I, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you mean I have to wake up and journal and do all this shit and then go to the gym and then come home and then work and then create content, everything that I'm doing now. It is so different from who I used to be last year. But... What keeps me going is, who do I want to be at the end of all of this? Not in like a death way, right? People are always like, what are people going to say about me when I'm dead? I don't, I I choose not to live like that. I want to know, how do I want my life to be tomorrow? Who do I want to be tomorrow? I want to be somebody who makes an impact. I want to be somebody 
who has a solid morning routine. I want to be somebody who has a solid night routine. I really struggle with creating a solid night routine uh, because my night routine affects my morning routine. If I go to bed too late, my morning routine is fucked. And, and so I want to be this person. And, and when I can define this person that I want to be, then I can start doing things that align with this person. But if I don't have this person defined, everything is not going to be sustainable because I don't know what I'm working towards. Yeah, the goal is really important. It almost seems sometimes people say, oh, set goals. It's almost like a trite thing we do on New Year's Eve that people don't really take seriously. But when you take it seriously and when you consider it more like you're the sculptor, and your mm -hmm. life is the thing that you're there to be to have to do the sculpting on. The the promises you make to yourself, those are like your tools and you're chiseling out this Absolutely. the the life that you want to live. And yeah, it's not about mm -hmm. how you want to be remembered when you're dead. It's about what you want each day to the experience of yourself, your body, the person that you mm -hmm. are as you go through your life and relationships each day. How, how you want to feel, how you, how you want to be seen and how you want to be felt in the world. Like when, when I walk in a room, I'm also like a very extroverted person. And, and when I walk into a room, I want people to know, oh, Kanye just walked in the room. And so what are the things that I have to do for me to, you know, exude that in the world? I remember you just asked about self-esteem. And when I started building my own self-confidence, fuck, I was like, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Because I used to be shy and I used to be quiet and I used to just like let people talk however way they wanted to. And I'll never forget this day. I was at home with my aunt and something had happened to her. And I looked at her and I said, we are not these people anymore. We are not these nice people and, and not kind because there's a difference between nice and kind. I've met kind people who have solid boundaries and who are certain, but the nice people have this sense of people pleasing. Oh, you can just like, it's fine. But then inside it's not fine. And I said to her, we're going to fake it until we make it. And for, for what felt like a really long time, I would like, my voice would shake, my heart would pound. I remember this one guy came up to my friends one time and was like, you, you, you. And he was like pointing like that. And I looked at him, I was so scared. And I said, nobody talks to me like that. And you are not about to be somebody that talks to me like that. And he was like, excuse me. And I looked at my friends and I was like, you will not talk to me like that. We are going to leave. And we all, we had just sat down for dinner. We lived just thumbs down and he starts going off. And we're like, I was like, no, you're not talking to me like that. We just got up, got in the car, and he chased us. It was a whole big thing, but that was the first time where I was like, oh, it works. It works when you go, this is how I'm going to live. Even if those first few times you feel like, oh, this is, it's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm an imposter. I feel like this is not authentic to me. I'm like, it, it's going to feel like that because I haven't been like that. And, but, but once it clicks, it clicks. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And what I think also worked about what you did was that instead of coming, returning their aggression with more aggression, you didn't do that. You, what you said was reasoned, it was calm, but it was very firm. You do not speak to me that way. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really powerful, right? Because if you had just come back with more aggression, the things could have escalated. Yeah. And it would have just been more triggers on top of triggers. Yeah. 
he would have probably won the fight. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I don't. I don't think fights are things. Physical physical fights are ones that I win very easily. So if it was me, for sure, that's true. You would have had to protect me. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> no, don't hit me. This is the money maker. Well, you know, the more we start to face ourselves, the more the awareness of our mistakes and failures and shortcomings and all the things we wish were different about ourselves can come up. So what advice do you have for how we can love ourselves more in spite of all those, you know, mistakes and failures and shortcomings? I, I fucking love that question. I think self-compassion is where self-love starts and self-compassion starts with allowing ourselves to see parts of ourselves that we wish we could hide or to really see parts of ourselves where where our pain sits. I like to say we're not broken, we're just in pain. And when we can face those parts and we can extend compassion. One of the things that I try my hardest to do and I try to get my clients to do is to never speak down on yourself, ever. I could make the biggest mistake. If, if I spill this, I'm, I'm never going to be like, oh, can you so stupid? You spilled that. I go, I'll be like, oh, I spilled that. I need to wipe it. But we are so hard on ourselves. And that, that hardness stops us from showing ourselves self-compassion. And I'm not saying like self-compassion in a way where you see yourself as a victim, but self-compassion where you see yourself as a victim, as a survivor, and somebody that is working to then transcend the shit that has happened to them. So for me, when I started to see my own shit, if we talk about romantic relationships, I said I have a codependency issue. And that was so hard for me to realize because, like I said, I show up in the world with this level of empowerment. And if you're not dating me, you're not going to know that I have a codependency issue. And when that came up for me, I was like, where is this coming from? And then I realized this is coming from watching my grandfather die when I was nine years old. And that was my big two trauma. And my grandfather was someone that I would come home to from school. He made my food. He was, my, he was like a stay-at-home dad through and through. We would go work the garden together. And when he died and I watched him die, I felt this huge amount of abandonment because that's when things started to go wrong. And so I brought all that unworked through abandonment, rejection, feeling like people leave, people die, people reject me, and I bring that into a relationship, and then it creates a dependency issue, and then it creates somebody who is an anxious attacher. And then it was like, oh, this is what I do. Self-love goes, or self-compassion rather goes, you've been through all of this stuff. This is why you are like this. Now, instead of saying, oh, you're codependent and that's bad and that's unhealthy, let's work through healing that. 
Let's work through acknowledging that. Let's work through being aware of that. Let's work through being tender. I had a therapist who would end every session with be tender with yourself and be compassionate with yourself. And when I started to extend the type of compassion and tenderness that I extend to other people, to myself, that's when I began to love myself. And I saw myself as this grown, beautiful black woman that's walking around with an inner child that is in a lot of pain. And when I could acknowledge that pain and the way that it affects me, it affects the people around me, I could love myself out of it. And that's how self-love. I think that's a brilliant answer. So, for example, you'll be having a an experience with one of your partners and you behave in a way that maybe you're not proud of, that makes you feel like it's expressing this sort of evidence of your codependency. So instead, in mm-hmm. that moment of, of cursing at yourself and being kicking yourself for the mistake that you made, you instead remember the little nine-year-old girl who lost the most important man in her life, who she... Mm-hmm came home from happily from school every day, who was her, she looked forward to being with this wonderful man. And instead of just taking the energy towards being mad at the grown woman that you are, you could just have love for the, Mm -hmm. and not in a victim way where, because everyone eventually loses their grandpa, right? It's not about being a victim, but it's about loving the part of us that went through the difficult thing. Yeah, and that's what self-love is. And I think that's like the difference between self-love and self-care, which sometimes it can feel like they're the same. Self-care is like, I'm going to go to the spa and I'm going to go with the girls. It's like whatever we do. But self-love is really seeing yourself, all of yourself, like all the stuff and just being like, wow, out of all of that stuff. I have love and compassion for myself. Wow. Thank you for that answer. I think that's really great. Is there anything you want to share about self-care as well, if it's related? So this is, this is my thing. I, if, if you follow me like on the platforms, I talk about radical self-love, right? And radical self, when I, when I use that word, first of all, I was so excited. I was like, I made this up, radical self-love. And then I looked online and I was like, Man, everybody talks about it. But, <laughs> but for me, it is everything I try so hard, everything that I do has to communicate that I love myself right down to what I eat. I have to eat in a way that says I feed this temple in a way that loves it. And for some people that can be like, oh, you're so picky. But for me, it's because I love myself, I'm probably not going to eat a lot of deep fried food because I know that's probably going to make me sick. I quit eating gluten because for some reason, how y'all process your food over here, it made me really sick. And and so that was something I was like, because I love myself and because I don't want to feel like this after I eat. I'm not going to do that. And then when it goes to the gym, it's because I love myself, I want to make sure that I'm healthy. And when, when I do things like that, and it's so funny because my clients would come to me for like relationship coaching or like, you know, help me with my habits or help me with my self-awareness or self-esteem. But by the end of coaching, they are like, 
they go to the gym and they eat healthy and they and they you know they do all these things that are self care by nature, but they are there because the manifestation of self love is what are the things that I do to show myself that I love myself because love is a verb right you can be like I love myself all day but you if if you are doing things that don't affirm that self love then you still need to work towards loving yourself and sometimes people can feel like it's it's that it's that judgy it, it's just that for me I if I think about love the word love and if if when I love my partner so I do things for her that show that I love her and if I love myself I have to do things for myself that show that I love myself you know everything we do everything counts as something we do including the thoughts we have and so it's such an interesting question we can ask is what are the things that we're doing in the day and what is that communicating what are, what, mm-hmm. what are we communicating to ourselves mm-hmm. and what might our lives look like if everything we did had to communicate that we love ourselves that's a good question. Yeah. It's a really good question. Even like even like right down to alcohol, right? Like I don't drink alcohol because of how I would feel the next day. And 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 as I got older, my hangovers became a two day issue. So alcohol stole two days of joy from me. So it was like, ooh, I'm not willing to have this experience just so to say I was I was drunk. And now we live in a society where if you don't drink, your social circle becomes really, really small because, you know, people use alcohol to connect and all those things. And so I had to be okay with the trade-off of I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that to my body because it doesn't feel good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. again, that comes back to the awareness and it's hard. It's, it takes a lot of discipline, right, to make those kinds of changes. Um, so I'm curious what advice you have for attracting women as a woman. Like, what do you think women are attracted to? (laughs) I don't know. They're so hard. Why are women so hard to deal with? (laughs) (laughs) I think think women are attracted to confidence. I know I am. I'm attracted to, to confidence. I think, and also I feel like you posted something and I was like, this is totally an age thing. Like when I was younger, I was so like, are they hot? (laughs) Do they have pretty eyes? Do they have nice teeth? And and so I was attracted to that. But now I'm attracted to groundedness. And I'm attracted to if someone is in therapy, oh my God, I'm wet instantly. Like, let's, let's do this thing. Let's, let's heal. I'm attracted to people who are working on themselves. And I'm not even talking about like the hustle of making money and ambition, but I'm just like talking about I'm so attracted to people who are working on being better people inside. And I think, yeah, I think women, women are attracted to confidence. Women are, I think confidence is sexy. Personally, I think when someone knows who they are, they know what they have to offer the world. Someone who is very self-assured, like someone who doesn't need to be validated, who is like, oh, it's nice that you think that about me, but I kind of already think that about myself. So, you know, somebody who, who doesn't need to be constantly validated because they are so sure of who they are. 
I think that's what women are attracted to. And maybe nice teeth. I do. I'm, I'm attracted to nice teeth. But yeah. <laughs> Um, that's so interesting. And then maybe the opposite being that a major turnoff for women is a sort of neediness for validation and not knowing who you are and a lack of confidence. I think, I mean, I think it's like, like woman to woman too, right? I think sometimes people are doing that work of getting to know themselves and being self-aware and building that confidence. Like not everyone is going to have it off the bat. But I think that this is a very interesting question. I try not to, to generalize because some people are attracted to how a person looks. And, and the thing with, with dating too is that, you know, we always put our best foot forward. forward. We'll, we'll always present what we think the person wants to see. And that's where, that's where it becomes tricky because it is, am I seeing who you are or am I seeing who you want me to see? And then when we're together in the long run, then the truth of who you are comes out and I have to deal with what that is. Sometimes people will show up with a lot of fucking potential and you fall in love with that potential, right? And then, and that's all you have potential. And so how, what do you do now? You've been with this person for a year and you go, this is over because you didn't produce what I thought you were going to. So I think it is, it's, it's hard to be in that space of meeting someone, having that initial attraction, and then working towards seeing them for who they are, whether they're like not as confident as they say they are, or they're not as self-assured as they seem to be. And how do you then navigate a relationship with someone who did not give you the truth at the beginning of the relationship? It's a really tricky question, right? Because there's so much, when we meet someone new, if we're single and we're dating, we so badly want it to work out. So when the person also shows up and does show us their best selves, so especially if they like us and we, we want to believe it, right? Mm-hmm. But that's why it's so important in the early part of relationships to be looking, looking, just to be really observant, to be really curious, not just to... Yeah not just to convince yourself of what you already want to be true, but mm-hmm. being aware of the red flags. You said a year. Yeah. Do you think it really would take a year for it all to come out? Or do you think that the red flags will come out a lot earlier? I think in, re- in, in lesbian relationships, they'll come out a bit earlier because I don't know if it's, if, if it's like biology where we're just like quickly, just like boom, there we are. We're together now. You know, the whole you hauling thing that I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I did this whole TikTok that I was not a fan of you hauling and think some people are like, yeah, and some people are like, fuck you. I was like, it's it's it doesn't give you a chance to know somebody before you live with them. But I don't think when we re- refer to you hauling that we literally mean that we give up our lease and we move in with the person right away. I think it's a metaphor for the idea the idea, oh boom, we're together I think in some ways that's a reflection of the fact that because there were a smaller population, it's a little bit harder to find a girlfriend if you're if you're a female mm-hmm. than it would be to find a boyfriend if you're looking for a straight relationship, right? It, it, well, I, I'm not going to say that. Um, 
I don't want to say that because I think finding an actual guy to commit to can be quite hard for straight women too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the U-Haul happens because it in lesbian dating, it can be so long and frustrating the road to actually finding a woman that you're excited about, she's excited about you, and you're both like kind of in it. Once that happens, you kind of want to go with it. You don't want to have to then what's the you know you you know how good it is you know what you found you know how much of a treasure that is so why not go with it keep it and and then through that yes then go and then learn the the see if the red flags are there all that stuff but i don't disagree with you i think it would be wrong to give up your lease right away after meeting someone i think women who jump into marriage too soon are risking severe legal you know, legal bills down the road and a lot of headache in your life. So I, I actually really, really agree with what you're saying. Just, to, I guess it would just really probably be a question of how we're defining what we mean by U-Haul when we say it. By U-Hauling, yeah. yeah. No, that, 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 that definitely makes sense. And I think also, like, if we're saying that people will always present their best foot forward, like, I've experienced this, where it's like, wait, wait a minute, where's that person who was like this at the beginning of the relationship? And like, how do I deal with this now? And also it's love bombing trying to get you so much that they haven't even decided whether they want you. So then it's not just that they prevent, provided their, their best foot forward. It's that suddenly they wake up seven months into it and say, oh, is this even what I want? And then yeah. the, the rules of the relationship change and they pull away and then it mm-hmm. triggers, you know, anyone who has an anxious attachment style, it triggers all mm-hmm. that, you know, down the road. So complicated stuff. It is. But you were saying the thing about the U-Haul in answering something else, I think. Yes. I, I think I was saying it in like getting to know someone. I think it's it's hard to get to know someone if like when I meet somebody, they don't know I'm codependent. They don't know I have issues with saying how I feel. They don't know that sometimes I can struggle to communicate and, and say what I need. And they don't know that sometimes they'll be talking to 38-year-old Kenyessa and I am gone and they are now talking to 9-year-old Kenyessa who's scared that she's in trouble during an argument, right? What they see is a well-spoken, well-traveled, well-cultured, somebody who speaks seven languages and they're attracted to that, but they don't know all the other stuff that they have to deal with in a relationship. I wish there was a way to ask, like, how do you handle this? And and, and then someone be honest, like maybe put like a, you know, <laughs> like a lie detector stuff. And so I think what's worked for me in my relationships is when that stuff comes up, it's stuff that I'm working on and it's stuff that I'm aware of. Whereas for some people, when that stuff comes up, they don't even know that that stuff is unhealthy. For some people, being defensive is, no, I'm just, I'm just like putting my foot down. And it's like, no, you're being defensive. Yeah, because you did something wrong. I'm not defensive. You just crossed the line. I'm not, yeah, you crossed the line. It's, it's you, whereas I done the work of going oh I get defensive because when I would do something wrong I would get punished so my 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 automatic response when I feel like I've done something wrong is to defend myself and so I think that the tricky part with meeting anyone I think like whether it's a straight relationship or gay relationship or whatever it is like how do we get to the real stuff and, and how do we work through that real stuff before 
we are now in a relationship and things that in our red flags are like they're here because it takes a long time to see the red flags and sometimes even when we do see the red flags we're like I'll just work around that and it's two years and you're still working around the same red flag see that's the danger it's 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 okay I think to some extent it's okay to quote unquote u-haul if that just means you're suddenly in a relationship but it's not okay if then as the red flags come up you ignore them yeah as the lack of compatibility reveals itself you pretend it's not there yeah but but you ignore it because of the desire to cling to a relationship because you don't want to not have the relationship and that is an absolute that's absolutely the wrong way to go yeah um but speaking of of the women we go for and something you said earlier i don't want to lose the thread because it was so good you talked about maybe in the past you might have been more attracted to people for their looks whereas now what you were describing it sounds like what really attracts you is the kind of person who could be a great partner someone who's working on themselves trying to have more success in life in all the ways and willing to work on themselves and all that stuff do you have any thoughts about about how because no one wants to date someone they're not attracted to right so we're not saying go for the nice person because it's the right thing to do or that those are the right reasons. You really want, you need to feel it, right? Mm. It's not like you had to then also go for someone who had bad teeth or anything like that. Your partner is spectacularly gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, she, she is spectacularly gorgeous. I'm going to tell her you said that. I'm like, she said you were spectacularly gorgeous. <laughs> but it's But the best part about it is that that's not why you're there. You're there for something way deeper for the for the kind of partner that, that she is. Mm. But I do think that there is something really important about going for people for the right reasons, for people who are a wholesome, healthy choice for ourselves. Do you have any advice of that for people that might be a little bit more fixated on the superficial, how they might shift that? Have a conversation with the superficial, with, with, with that person. When, when Indy and I met, we met in the Philippines. I used to live there and she was traveling through. Obviously, the first thing I saw were those green eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, like, got to talk to her. And then what was kind of a one-night stand is still happening five years later because of who she is. And we cannot ignore the fact that physical attraction, yes, it is important. Like, I want to know I want to fuck you at the end of the day, right? After we've even had the deep conversations and stuff. But it is connecting with people on a, on a deeper level. And I think when you are ready to date with intention like if you're dating to date like yeah go for it go for the I don't even want to call it superficial like but go for what you're interested in if if that's where you are but if you are looking for true connection if you're looking if your intention is for a long-term partnership I think one of the things that you have to do is ask them those difficult questions I, I I did an Instagram recently. I was like, I, I like ask them what they've learned from their previous relationship, and and not in a way that's like, oh, my ex was like this and she did this and she did that. I want to know what you learned about yourself in that. Like, what did that relationship teach you about you? Because if you don't have the capacity to self reflect then we're not going to be meeting each other at the same emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is being able to look at yourself and be like, oh, shit, can you still, you still need to grow in that. When my seven-year relationship ended, I have a list of things that I learned about myself. And it was so hard for me because 
I was the one who was cheated on and, and, and it was, it was, it was so toxic. I was cheated on, she cheated with a man, a man that worked for me. We had businesses together. So it was, it was ugly. And for a long time, I was her victim. I was a victim of this person that I loved and who turned out to be disrespectful and cheated and lied and hid and then made excuses and all these things. But I want to tell you this, though. What really healed me and what really empowered me was asking myself what I did. Mm. Yes, she cheated. That's all true. But what did I do to allow that? Just to make sure that I don't anymore. What types of behaviors did I allow? What did you ignore? What did you not say no to? Where did you not put your foot down? Um, what did you, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Look, mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't mean that people don't do bad things to us, but if, you, if we meet a person and all they could talk about is what other people did bad to them, that's probably a red flag. It, it is for me, for sure. Even in friendships, it, it, it is for me. Like, I, I, I want to, to be surrounded by people who can own their own stories and people who can own their lives. I tend to be attracted to people who find empowerment in, the, in what, we, what we would look at and see as weakness. I want you to be somebody that knows that about yourself. And, and be somebody that's empowered by that. Because if, if we're always the victim, chances are, if I'm in a relationship with you, then you're going to be my victim at the end of the day. But I, I want to be with somebody that is empowered enough to be like, you know what? I allowed you to treat me like that. You're not going to anymore. I allowed this to happen to me because it is true. People will treat us how we allow them to treat us. She treated me the way I allowed her to treat me. And that is when I started to put those connections together, it was really, really hard because it felt like I was changing the narrative. It felt like I was taking the blame, but I was like, but it took two people (laughs) and I was one of the two people. So there must be things that I did for that to happen. Yeah. Or even just the fact that you didn't leave, which is important for us to all realize we have, we have freedom. Girl, I should have left. And that, that, that was one of my biggest regrets, too. I was like, I should have left way sooner. I was mistreated by, well, I had a couple, but there was, there was the one who kind of left the biggest hole in my heart after it happened. And I remember the moment where I kind of had a similar revelation to the one you're talking about, where all of a sudden I realized that actually, instead of feeling like this person's victim, I realized, no, I made a mistake. I stayed too long. I wanted her to change. And that was, had I just not wanted her to change and had I just said, oh, this is who you are. And then I took my pretty little self out of that relationship, (laughs) then all of that pain would have been avoided. And I I remember sitting and just laughing at this realization. It it was so freeing. Not to say she wasn't horrible in a million and 10 different ways. She was, but, but I stayed and I was trying to get her to be better. And what was, that was, that's on me. And listen, what's the lesson on that? People will not be better for you. It won't happen. No one is going to change for you. If parents, if, if, if addicts cannot change for their children, people that have literally birthed into the world, 
and you think a partner is going to change who they are for you, it's not going to happen. And what makes them so important that we need to sacrifice any more minutes of our life just sticking around waiting for them to change when there's a world full of, you could be in the Philippines and meet the love of your life. I mean, I met my partner on, right. uh, you know, on the apps. There's women, there's, there's incredible women all over this world that can make you so much happier than a partner who's mistreating you. So mm-hmm. I think people stay out of fear. Why do you think you stayed? For me, I don't know. I, was just, I just never imagined finding someone better than her at the time. But that was fear-based. That's nonsense. It, it, it is. She didn't make me happy in the first place. <laughs> and for me, I stayed because it was... Um... It was my first like grown relationship where we met, we were 25 when we met and we like, honestly, like people are like, it must have been toxic. No, like the first five years were beautiful. We did amazing things together and we were so compatible. Like we traveled the world, we went to school together, we built businesses together, we did philanthropy work together. So we we had this like amazing friendship too. And we had this amazing history. And I stayed because it was like, we've built so much together. Like when our relationship ended, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm gonna leave a relationship. It was I'm leaving a home, I'm leaving dogs, I'm leaving businesses, but I'm leaving a best friend. There's that friendship aspect of it. And it was also just being afraid to grieve something that meant so much to me. Because when we end relationships like that, especially when they are so long, there's that grieving period that we we just have to go through. I I really do hear you. So there were five amazing years, then two terrible ones. Mm -hmm. When do you think would have been the right time to, when do you think, because, you know, let's just say you have five amazing years and then the the first month of it being terrible, that's not the right time to leave, right? Because after five years, the balance is, hey, you know, I'm, you know, yeah, let's work through it, right? So at what time do you think that changes? And then what would you say to that? What would you say to that younger version of yourself in that moment when it was time to leave? You know, what do you think you needed to, to understand in that moment? leave (laughs) (laughs) um you know i think i i like to say like i just continued my own suffering by saying she wasn't gonna change she was (laughs) she was stigmatized to the core there was nothing i could have done for her to stay and even if i did stay we could never have gone back to what we used to be to each other, who we used to be to each other. When you are with someone for seven years, they know you, they know what to manipulate, they know how to kind of like make you feel good for a little bit and then take that away, right? So there were those moments of push and pull when I'd be like, oh, I should leave and then it would be good for a month and then it would be bad again. And and so those, those moments too of just like, Right when I was about to leave, it was, oh, no, we can work through this and and we can still be this. And I always say with my ex and I, one of the things that I grieved was the friendship part of it. And we would have stayed friends if she was honest with me. And that friendship would have looked like maybe we'll take space and we don't talk to each other for a while, but we can come back and be friends. If she said, I like men now. Now I date men. 
And that would not have been a personal thing for me because you like what you like, right? You're attracted to who you're attracted to. What made it so toxic and so unacceptable for me where I can't be friends with her was the respect part, the lies, the hiding, all of that was just like, like the bringing people to my home, bringing people to the businesses that we were building together. It was, it was a lot. It was betrayal, absolute terrible betrayal. It's a, it's a betrayal. And had she just yeah. turned to you honestly and said, I can't do this anymore, then you would have had yeah. the opportunity to grieve but it was yeah. it's as if she died, right? Because the part that she was able to give you before, she can't give you. You both acknowledge it. You cry. You deal with the mourning. And then one day, there'd be plenty of room to be friends. But when someone has betrayed you on that level, how can they be your friend? And it was selfish, right? Because what was her reason not to tell you? It's because she wanted to keep you. She wanted to keep yeah. the options open. She wanted to have what she wanted from you. And And she was still getting... She she was doing all these things while getting what she used to get from me. Like, I remember her, like, after we broke up, she'd be like, well, I don't get your emotional support anymore. And I was like, yeah, because you got that because I was your partner. Now you need to go and find it somewhere else. And she'd be like, but men are not like that. And I'm like, you should have figured that out. <laughs> you should have figured that out before dating them, you know. Um, and so we also kind of went through this, like, toxic ex thing where she was just this and, and my excuse for that was like we have these businesses together and then one day when Indy and I were together Indy is she's you know she's younger but she's very very fiery it's the it's the Latina in her when when she's had enough of a situation she'll be like I'm done with this handle it or we just have to do something different and she was like I'm not at peace here with a lingering ex, you just figure out what you need to do. And I was like, I'm not going to miss out on a great thing in my life because of you. So you know what? You keep the businesses. You do what you want to do with it. You don't even have to buy me out. I'll figure something out. I'll be fine. I was broke for three years. And I was angry because when if you start a business, it's like, blood, sweat, and tears, and we're in the tourism industry, which means like literally blood, sweat, and tears. I still have scars in my body, but it wasn't, I wasn't willing to sacrifice what I was building with Indy just for somebody who, who did that, so I had to let it go. But second, back to that question about what I would have said, if, if, if I was this person now and that was happening to me, I would have said, just leave. Yeah. Then you'll be fine. And I think we stay because, you know, we're so scared to start over. We're scared of the unknown. We're scared of the uncertainty. We're scared of just like fucking everything. But we figure things out. And on the other side of the unknown, there's somebody spectacular waiting for you. Mm -hmm. I, I always say for anyone who's ever, no matter how much you love somebody, no matter how much you wanted to stay together, there's always someone else out there who can make you just as happy. Yeah. And sometimes that's someone else's you. <laughs> Amen. I love that. Hmm. So you, I know you work with a lot of women and, and a lot of couples, a lot of queer women, and a lot of queer couples. What do you think are the biggest mistakes women make when they're trying to attract the women they want? I think it's twofold. I work with women who come out later in their lives. 
I think the mistake they make is bringing in the stereotypical thinking of what they imagine a woman loving women relationship would look like. Just like they're like, oh, I'm not going to be dealing with A, B, C, and D. And it's like, no, you're you're dealing with a person. You're, the men you dated were not like that because they they are men, right? They are like that because of that that person that they were. And so there's this like when women come out, there's this later, there's this thing where they think it's going to be easy and it's going to be tender and it's going to be, it's going to be so like, we're just going to snuggle on the couch with our cats and drink wine and watch TV and have sex. But the truth is you're going to be dealing with a lot of relationship stuff. And that's like working on a relationship with a stranger that's hopefully going to become the most important person in your life one day. But right now they're a stranger. You don't know them. You don't know what they what makes them tick. You don't know how much, you know, how they argue. You don't know what they like during sex. You also don't even know how they have sex with women. Like you are just like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and so... It's it's just really like letting go of that stereotypical thinking of what lesbian relationships are and think of it as, and also like outside the heteronormative stance. When I dated somebody who's never dated women before, I remember I looked at her and I was like, I'm not your boyfriend. I'm not going to carry your bags. Like, I was like, girl, you are taller and stronger than me. I am, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I'm not your boyfriend. Even in the sex part, right? I'm like, I'm not going to bam you and then you turn around and fall asleep because that's how you're used to having sex. That's not how I have sex, right? And so there's, there's like so much learning. And then there's also like the internalized homophobia too when people come out later in life and there's, there's just like all of that. And so I just think just letting go of this heteronormative idea of what relationships should look like is the first one. And then number two is letting go of your stereotypical thinking of what lesbian relationships are. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are really good points. You know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast aren't in America or within reach of the kind of resources we can get in Texas where you are or in New York where I am. But what are some practices or exercises that you found that anyone can do from anywhere in the world uh, that you recommend for, for anyone who wants to get to the next level in life? Read. No matter where you are, you can get a book, right? Um, if you don't know what books to read, I have a whole list of books that I recommend to my clients on my page, on my Amazon store thing. I found like... Even though there are resources in America, for example, they're expensive resources. I'm expensive as a life coach. And and I say that and it hurts me. And India is always like, it's okay. I'm like, how can I make my coaching accessible to everybody? So now I'm building a course and it's going to be more, you know, affordable to people. But when you can't afford it, for example, or it feels like you don't have any resources, read. Read books about healing. Read books about relationships. When I was 
still am. Like right now, I'm reading The Ethical Slut. I just finished a few months ago. I read Poly Secure because I want to know. I'm somebody that likes to be informed like, oh, this is how I want to live. Somebody, somebody somewhere wrote a fucking book. And for self-development, I wrote bread books like The Mountain Is You, The 5 a.m. Club. I just finished reading Atomic Habits books. Kind of like, for me, they started the work. I remember the very first book I read, I, I grew up very Christian, like born-again Christians, tongue-speaking, all, all of that stuff. And when I came out, I was dealing with so much shame and I was dealing with so much guilt. I was dealing with a lot of like that like shame that religion puts on, on queer bodies. And no matter how much I tried to break away from it, I, I couldn't. I didn't know what to do. And then I picked up The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And I'm actually reading it again because she wrote it. She re-edited it for the 10th anniversary of the book. So I'm reading that presently and that book helped me face my shame and it helped me like be so strengthened by my vulnerabilities it helped me own my sexuality it helped me own my story when I could do that I was, that's when I realized the power of books so read books and also like find communities like if you're in Uganda I know there's a lot going on in Uganda right now there are communities on Facebook. There are communities on Meetup. They are just like the internet can be an ugly place, but it can also be such a beautiful place for connection. And when you can find those communities that sort of make you feel seen and they can make you feel safe, then do that. Like I, I just know, I posted something yesterday a few days ago and I was like, there's, there's so much that I don't take for granted. And one of them is being able to stand in the middle of any corner anywhere in this country and say, I am a black queer woman because there are black people in so many parts of the world who can never, ever say that because they will literally die, like literally die for saying that. And so there's so much that we can do. And I couldn't imagine when we feel so limited and when we feel trapped in where we are and, and just like how vastly unfair this world can be and how hateful it can be. And so I take refuge in books. I take refuge in finding community wherever, wherever I am. Yeah. One of the things that I came out, I lived in South Korea. I found a, I found a church that was queer affirming church. And it was a beautiful space for me, and it was exactly what I needed at the time. You know, reading is amazing because there are libraries, books are free, and whether mm -hmm. it's about making your own life better or, you know, if you're reading industry books to help you be better in your career, there's almost nothing in the world mm -hmm. that reading can't bring you. Yeah. And but but the thing with um, self development books, a lot of people would be like, they don't work, they don't work. I'm like, because you're not applying what you're reading. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like people are like knowledge is power, but applied knowledge is power. Yeah. 
if you just read to read, you're just reading to read, right? Yeah, and if it seems overwhelming, like you said earlier, just do one thing, commit to it once a day for, you know, 10 days or however long you said, you know, it doesn't need to be, you do everything on every page of the book, just one thing at a time. Yeah, just one thing. Like one small thing, I had a, I had a client who, hopefully this helps somebody, but I had a client who could not enjoy sex because they didn't enjoy their body. And they were just like, they called it ghosting that she was like, I would just ghost my body. Like I'll be in bed with a partner and I'll just be gone, just completely disassociate. And I said, every time you take a shower, you're going to slow down that showering process right down to your lotioning your body process. And you're going to be present with the stuff that you're touching. I am now lotioning my arms. I am now, and you're going to look at yourself. Because sometimes we just want to, I don't know if you've ever been showered by your grandmother, but my grandmother would just like take that and just like, done, you know, and, and that's what we do too. But when you slow down that process and you really look at yourself, it kind of connects you to your body. And then you like really are just like, oh my God, look at, look at this hands, look at this feet of taking me everywhere. Look at, look at the scars in my body. I got this one because I fell in a boat engine or I got that. And then it just brings you to connect to yourself and you can find activities like this anywhere. I love that one. Yeah. It's so important for people to love their bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's such a great practice, enjoying the pleasures that we're all capable of. Mm -hmm. Just before, before we wrap, cause I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Just one last question. Is there anything you wish every woman in the world could know in order to live better, happier, more successful and fulfilled lives? I want every woman in the world to know that it is not selfish to put yourself first. I think a lot of women are raised to believe that it is. We're kind of like given this false sense of martyrdom like you're you're just like an amazing person when you put everyone first there's just like this false sense of making it an honorable thing and we find ourselves in in situations where we are over compromising where we are over pouring and a lot of us pour from very very empty cups because we think that there's something wrong with setting boundaries, with saying no, with saying, actually, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't want to be that anymore, or I don't want to be in the circle anymore. We have this, like, we have been taught to demonize um, loving ourselves first. And when you can put yourself first, I really, really believe that everybody else that you are going to be pouring into will be better served than for that because you are going to show up so strong so empowered they are going to be getting the best of you like right down to your kids when mom goes at five mom is going to shut the door and take a nap for 15 minutes go find something else to do obviously it's, it's different for people right when you give yourself those moments of just saying what do i need now and how can I give myself that? When you come out of that space, the people that depend on you, they get the best version of you. But when we keep pouring from these empty cups, they're going to run dry, right? The well is going to run dry. 
you're going to be exhausted in your relationships, in your work, in, in your parenting duties, something is going to go wrong. Indy is a fitness coach. And sometimes I hear the conversations she has with moms and it's, and she's like, I'm realizing by not taking care of myself, I am going to be sick and not be able to take care of my kids. And so even though I'm like, oh, I'm taking care of my kids first because I'm a mom, my kids need me healthy. My kids need me strong and to be able to participate in the activities that we do together as a family. And so I think what I would, I would say to women is you deserve to take care of yourself and to love and to love yourself in whatever way brings you joy and peace. And I want women everywhere to know that they are feminine goddesses and there's so much power that lies in the female body and the female pleasure and the female orgasm and they need to lean into that shit. Right on. <laughs> so yeah. where do women who want to or where do the people listening to this who want to learn more, who want to engage more with your work, who want to see more of what you do and sign up for whatever you got going on, where can people go? You can find me on Instagram as lifecoach underscore Kanye. Uh, I'm starting a new account because I'm focusing on relationship and pleasure coaching right now. You can find me on there or you can email me at coachkanye at kanyesamnyaka.com. I'll type it for you unless in case you have like show notes and stuff. Yeah, I'll have all of that in the show notes. And do you have a website? Yes, it's kanyesamnyaka.com. Perfect. I'll have links to all of that, as well as some of the resources you mentioned. Is there anything else I, I, that you wish I had asked or that you um, want to say before we wrap? What I want to say before we wrap is, I think when you started this, you said that, you know, we're talking to women who feel sometimes alone and, and sometimes who feel like, you know, that it's tough to connect and it's, 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 and, and I get that. So what I would say is it might feel like that, but you're not alone. And when you can cultivate the courage to ask for help, help is there. And there are people that want to offer you that help. I love that. It's so beautiful. This has been such a fun conversation. I really hope we can do it again someday. And I'm so grateful. Me too. So, so grateful that you took the time to share with us here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm too. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, Follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, you can book a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. <laughs>